Open with a word of prayer and then we'll jump in. Uh, Heavenly Father, I, th- I thank you that uh, none of us were hit by buses yesterday. And um, I-, I thank you that we're here able to study uh, the-, the things of-, of God with each other this morning. And I pray that you would give us a- attentiveness. I-, I pray that you would give us focus and-, and interest in the content that we're covering. And as we go through this lesson and are talking about the history between the Old and New Testaments, we pray that you would help us understand the developments that took place so that whenever we open to the book of Matthew next week and we start seeing the Pharisees and Sadducees, we're, we're not at a total loss. Uh, help us understand these things. Teach us um, so that we can better understand your Gospels. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So um, yesterday we started in on the period of history between the Old and New Testaments. Uh, we sometimes call this intertestamental history. Sometimes we, we call it um, the history of the 400 silent years. Um, you know, something along those lines. Um, at the end of the Old Testament, what nation was in power over Israel? Persia. Persia. All right. Uh, during this period of time between the Old and New Testaments, though, uh, who beats Persia? Greece. Greece, led by what ruler? Alexander. Alexander. And um, Alexander dies young, um, and so there will be different factions that kind of rule over different portions of the Greek empire. Um, but how does Greece largely treat the Jews? Uh, very Not very well. You said, what did you say? Very oppressive. Yeah, oppressive. Um, you know, they, they are the type of people that impose their culture on other cultures. So if you are part of the Greek empire, what language do they want you to speak and write in? What gods do they want you to worship? Uh, what do they build beside a lot of the Jewish synagogues? Gymnasiums. Gymnasiums. And do the Jews like that very much? No. no. Uh, it, do Greeks tend to be very modest and pure people? No. And you can know that by going to Hickson and looking to the left at Clemens <laughs> Antiques. Right? Um, very, very odd. You know, I don't know. I would not want, like the statue of a naked person in my garden personally, but I guess a lot of rich people are kind of into that. I'm not sure. I also have recognized that in the past, like, 20 years, uh, I don't think I have ever seen one of those statues leave Clemens Antiques. Are you saying yes? Oh, okay. Like in a storm or something? Yeah, I, I don't see them get very much business. So, I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe that's not a thing people really care about anymore. Um, and then who is eventually going to beat out Greece? Rome. Rome. And Rome will be the dominant world power for several centuries. Um, in fact, Rome ushers in a period called the Pax Romana, the era of Roman peace, where there's really, in, in, um, in Europe and, and in uh, you know, the Middle East, there, there's a, a period when Rome is such a dominant power that there's really no major skirmishes. There's a few rebellions here and there. But for a long period of Rome's history, they kind of give that part of the world peace, world peace. Um, You know, today, uh, do you really know Europe and the Middle East for being places where there's a lot of peace and harmony? No, but but under Rome, there actually is for a period. Um, Rome, uh, we said that Greece imposes on other cultures. Uh, Does Rome do that? What does Rome typically do? 
Yeah, they appropriate. So um, for most of Rome's history, uh, what is their dominant language? Latin a much, much, much later, right? For most of their history, what is their what is their dominant language? Though? Greek and Hebrew. No, just Greek. Just Greek. Right? That's why the New Testament is entirely written in what language? Greek. Greek, while Rome is a power, right? Later on, Latin becomes kind of the language of the elite in, in, in Rome, and then over time it'll become kind of the common language as well. But that is a, a development that happens way after the New Testament is written, even. All right? So... For a long time, Greek is their major language. Uh, what does their religion look like? Yeah, basically Greece's, right? Uh, almost identical to Greece's. Um, and, uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of... Uh, Rome will have a lot of legal religions. Even if you're not holding to the Roman religion, there are ways that minority groups um, can, can uh, lawfully worship their own gods. We'll talk about that a little bit. So... What we want to do today is, uh, you know, I hinted at this uh, yesterday. In the Old Testament, at the end of the Old Testament, um, obviously Israel falls into some sin. There are some things that, you know, Malachi and other prophets will rebuke them for. Um, But the teachings of the Old Testament, good or bad? Teachings of the Old Testament are good. The, The theology over here is something God approves of. All right? Um, Old Testament religion is is right. It's it's good. Okay? Um, By the time we get to the New Testament, by the time we've gone these 400 years, though, uh, and we get to the New Testament, um, how do Jesus and Paul seem to think about Jewish theology by that point? Who would be the representatives of Jewish theology? Yeah, Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, sometimes you get a group called the scribes or the lawyers. Um, Jesus really likes Pharisees and Sadducees, doesn't he? Uh, Soon you'll be reading Matthew 23, where he calls them the brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs. And he says, the Pharisees will traverse land and sea in order to make a single convert. And after they do it, he's twice the child of hell as he was before. That's pretty strong language. If you want to be friends with someone, that is not a thing that you say. Hey, whenever you talk to someone, they become even worse than they were before. Um, He has seven woes that he gives against the Pharisees in, uh, in chapter 23 of Matthew. Uh, how does Paul feel about these guys? Yeah, you probably don't know because you've not really read Paul yet, but the answer is bad. Okay, He doesn't like them much. So the question that we really want to cover today is how did we get from here, how did we go downhill to here? Okay, How did that happen? Um, there's a few things that we have to cover uh, in order to explain that development. Um, one of them is the rise of legalism. What does legalism mean? Anybody know what that term means in a, in a Bible context? It's like following the laws instead of like believing the stuff. Is following God's law a bad thing? No. no. Should Israel do that? Yeah. 
Yes. Um, you know, the law is important, it's good, it's wholly righteous. Uh, that's Paul's words. Paul thinks the law is a good thing. Okay? Um, when can that become a bad thing, though? If that's all the law. What do you mean? I mean, if that's all they mean. No, I, I know what I'm trying to say, but I sure. can't explain it. No, that's fine. I do that all the time. We do want to, we do want to express this rightly, though. Okay? Um, what would legalism be? How can the law become something that's not healthy? Or how can you misuse it? That would be a better way to say it. Josh? Valuing all the rules over the relationship. Say that one more time louder. Valuing all the rules over the relationship. Okay, Josh says valuing valuing rules over relationship. Lily? Okay. Um, you know, Jesus does say uh, later, if you guys read this last night in Matthew 7, uh, if you see a log in your brother's, or if you see a speck in your brother's eye, all right, uh, and you have a log in your own, what should you do first? You should get the log out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of your brother's, all right? He says, judge not lest you be judged, and then that's the analogy that he gives. He says, judge not lest you be judged, and he says, if you see that your brother has a speck in their eye, if there's some sin that they're dealing with, but you have a log in your eye, you've got a, you've got a bigger problem. You need to take care of yourself before you take care of them. Now, you remove that log from your eye so that you can then do what for your brother? You can help them, and you can do what with that speck? Take it out. So is Jesus, whenever he says judge not, is he saying never talk to anybody about the sin that you see in their life? No. No, he's saying don't be a hypocrite. Don't stand up in front of people and say, thou shalt not do this, and then go do the same thing, right? So I think Lily's point is good, though, right? Um, There is this idea that, you know, the law shouldn't lead you to a place where you are boastful, where you feel puffed up. I shouldn't say, well, I keep the law better than you, so I'm better than you. We don't want to look down on people like that, but, but there is a place for talking to people about their sin, helping them, keeping your brother accountable. Uh, Ashley, did you have a hand a second ago? Did I see? Okay. Um, no. No? Okay. So what we're talking about with the rise of legalism here is an idea that my uh, relationship with God is determined by my works or by my law keeping. It's the idea that um, I'm saved by what I do, not saved by God. It's not that God is gracious and that's why I'm saved. It's that I have to be good and then I'll be saved. Okay? It's, it's, the, it's the mentality that we can sometimes fall into that we're saved by works, not saved by grace. Okay? Um, During this period of time, there is a rise in legalism, and it looks kind of like this. This is why it happens. In Judaism, there are certain things that set a a Jew apart from everyone else in the world. Okay, what would some of those things be? What are things that set the people of Israel apart from everyone else? Okay, they uh, kosher laws. All right, uh, they have a certain they have certain laws about what you can and cannot eat. What else? Okay, they're monotheistic. Uh, have only one God. What else? 
Okay, they have a certain calendar. They have laws about how to how to structure your week, how to worship. Some some days you fast, some days you feast. Uh, there's a calendar that they they have to follow. Uh, what do men have to do to their bodies? Circumcision. Circumcision. All right, you've got purifying rituals. Uh, all of that would fall under this concept of law. God gave Israel the law at Sinai. How many other nations did He bring to Sinai and give them the law to? Done. All right, only Israel. So, so the law is one thing that sets them apart. And underneath this would be things like the food and the calendar and circumcision. And I'm not going to write all of that out. Um, you guys get the idea. All right. Um, what else is distinctive about Israel? What else sets them apart from everyone else? There's this really important place that's usually in Jerusalem. And the temple. The temple. What's what's important about the temple? That's where they go to worship. It's the place God. Yeah, it's the place where God has promised to be among his people. Um, did the Philistines have a temple where the one true living God promised to meet with the Philistines? No. No. Did the Greeks have that? No. No one else did. That's something that set them apart. What else set them apart? What's one of the big things in the Old Testament that God gives them? The promised land. land. Alright, so the land sets them apart. Uh, There's a specific place where they're supposed to be. Exile is really bad because then they're away from this holy land that God has set apart for them. And then there's one other thing that we should put up here. Throughout the Old Testament, God makes one really massive promise. I was going to say sacrifices. We'll put that under law. What would be the fourth thing? Something that the Jews know about, no one else really knows about. Something that God has promised them from the very beginning. Abrahamic covenant. What's the most important part? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, there will be a seed that comes and crushes the serpent, and that is about the promised what? Messiah. Messiah. Good. Very good. You guys did well with that. All right. So, during the intertestamental period between Old and New Testament, these are the things that set the Jews apart from everyone else. We have the law. Um, The temple was rebuilt by who? It was built by Solomon. Yeah. It was rebuilt by who? Zerubbabel. Alright. We have the land of Canaan. We have this promise of the Messiah. But during the intertestamental period, this is what starts happening to Jewish theology. Um, was there a period not too long ago when Israel lost part of this? Yeah. What, 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 what did they lose? Yeah, the land and the temple uh, were taken away from them by, by Babylon. They were exiled. Why were they exiled? They didn't follow the law, and so they lost these things. Have they seen the Messiah? Not yet. Not yet. All right. And there's an idea that starts to develop in the later Old Testament books that the day when the Messiah appears will be a day of great judgment. You guys remember Malachi last year? It'll be like the fuller soap and, um, you know, 
Malachi says, who can withstand the day of his coming? There's an idea that whenever the Messiah comes, the, there will be a great judgment that happens. And the Jews start to think to themselves, well, God has made promises that we are his special people. The Messiah is going to come and judge the world. He's going to wait until we're super holy. He's going to wait until Israel is in a good place, is very, very pure before he sends the Messiah because he doesn't want us to be condemned. That's an idea that starts to develop during this period in time. So the Messiah is not going to come until what happens? We follow the law perfectly. Until we follow the law perfectly, we're not going to get the Messiah. The temple, the land, and the Messiah stop, in, in, in Jewish theology, they stop being gifts that are freely given by God. They start being things we have to earn. All right? There's a rise in legalism. If we're not good, then we won't enjoy these things. Um, these were all freely given gifts. These were all things that the Lord gave them um, before you know, they, they had really done anything good or bad. Um, the beginning of the Ten Commandments, you know, the Ten Commandments start the law off. You remember that the beginning of the Ten Commandments, um, God talks about the salvation he had given them in Israel before he gives them any of the commandments. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no graven images. Salvation came before the law came, right? Israel was supposed to obey the law because of the great work God had done for them previously. Grace always came before works in, in Old Testament theology. God saved, and then because the people were saved, they were then supposed to do good works and follow the law. But here, this starts getting reversed. We're only going to see uh, the goodness of God if we're good ourselves, if we earn it, if we merit it, if, we, if we're good and, and we deserve it. And so this, um, there's a rise in legalism that begins to happen. And out of this, we get one group. This is the idea of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the super, super, super conservative Jews. They're the ones who are so... Um, the word Pharisee actually comes from the Hebrew word for separation. Um, the Pharisees want to separate from unholy people. They want to separate and make themselves super pure and super holy and super clean because their idea is if we do that, then God will have to bless us with these three things. Kind of if, if we uh, get Israel to be super holy, God will kind of at that point have to respond by giving us the land, giving us the temple, giving us the Messiah. If we're super good, the Messiah will have to come, basically, is the idea. Okay? The Pharisees um, are a separatist group. They want nothing to do with any sort of like pagan culture. They want to kind of be left alone in their little small bubble. All right. And they are super concerned with purity. But they're also, uh, as we as we'll see as we go through the Gospels, Jesus and Paul think that they're also very legalistic. They don't have a good idea of grace. Of mercy. Okay. Questions on this so far? Okay, so we figured out where this group comes from. Um, something else that, that, that goes along with this, um, there's, a, there's a third group that I've not told you about yet that's called the Zealots. 
we'll get to the Sadducees a little bit later, but we, we want to talk about the rise of a group called the Zealots as well. Um, another thing that, that happens during this time that is kind of bad for Jewish theology um, is called the Maccabean Revolt. I always misspell this. I can't remember how many C's and how many B's there are. So I'm going to do my best. I think it's like this. The Maccabean Revolt, if, um, if you ever want to study this in more detail, um, you can look. Uh, you know Catholic Bibles have extra books in the middle? What are those called? Do you know? Catholic Bibles have seven extra books. The Apocrypha. The Apocrypha. All right, there are books of Maccabee that, that tell the history of, of what happened uh, during this time. I'm of the opinion that the Maccabean Revolt was a really bad thing for Jewish theology. Um, the Maccabean Revolt happened while Greece was in power over Israel. Um, and after Alexander died, he appointed different successors for different, part of his, different parts of his kingdom. So he dies, and I think originally he sets up four people to rule four quarters of his empire. And that works really well, right? Whenever there's one empire and there's multiple emperors, that always works really well. What does that always lead to? Split kingdom, civil war, something along those lines, right? Um, so the, the, Greek, uh, the history of the Greeks is fairly complicated. There's a lot that goes into it that we're not going to cover. But what you should know is that for the most part, the Greeks who come to power do not treat the Jews very well. All right? They impose on Jewish culture, like we said, and, and, and the Jews are pretty upset about this. And things really come to a head um, partway through uh, this intertestamental period um, when there is a Jew named uh, Mattathias who is appointed a priest. So he's a Jewish guy that's appointed a priest. Uh, The Greeks come to Mattathias uh, in the temple and they bring a pig. How do Jews feel about pigs? They're unclean. They're like the most unclean of all unclean animals. And the Greeks come to Mattathias and say, take this pig on the altar where you do sacrifices and and sacrifice it. What would that do to the temple and the altar? Make it unclean. So Mattathias says no. But then there's another priest there who is afraid. If Mattathias doesn't do this, the Greeks may come and may, you know, fight against Jerusalem, may destroy us. And so one of the other priests, to try to prevent that from happening, takes the pig and starts going toward the altar with him. And Mattathias pulls out a sword and runs that guy through and then murders the, the Greek general that had brought it there and starts a revolt. All right? Um, Mattathias is nicknamed Maccabeus, which means, anybody know what that means? Anybody heard those stories before? It means the hammer. It's a cool nickname. The, the Maccabees are the Hammer family, all right? Uh, Mattathias has some sons that start to lead this revolt against the Greeks. Um, one of them, the most famous, is Judas, Maccabeus. And Judas, um, the, the, the Jews, as you might imagine, um, who do you think has a bigger ar- army, the, the Maccabees or the Greeks? The Greeks. The Greeks, all right? Um, but the Maccabees are incredibly successful in their warfare against the Greeks. They have smaller uh, units uh, of men, and so they can move a lot faster. They can 
hit them fast and get out quickly. They know the terrain of Israel much better than the Greeks do, so they set ambushes, surprise attacks. And, and throughout this period of history, the Maccabees are incredibly successful over and over again against the Greeks. And, and the Jews take this as a sign of God's favor. They see it as a sign that God is with them. Uh, there's one famous battle where right before the battle starts, the, 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 the Jews are outnumbered over six to one. And Judas stands up and issues this, this enormously awesome prayer. And then they go and they fight the Greeks and they absolutely demolish them. So they see this as a sign. God is with us. God is giving us victory. And there's an idea that starts to develop that the Messiah is going to look a lot like these Maccabees. Messiah will come and he'll be a military man. He'll be somebody that leads God's people in victory over hostile uh, enemies. He'll be a person that looks like Mattathias or looks like Judas. There also starts to be an idea that develops that um, this is a little bit of a strange idea, but it's pretty well attested in Jewish literature from this time. Um, there starts to be an idea that develops that if we fight, if we fight it, it looks like we're going to lose. All right? God's made these big promises to Israel. If, it, if we fight, if we go out in faith against enormous odds, and if we fight in faith that God will deliver us, uh, if we fight that way, that's when God will send the Messiah. In the book of Acts, um, there's a council uh, that meets to discuss what they should do with Peter and John whenever Peter and John are preaching the gospel. And this council is called the Sanhedrin. And they start discussing how there have been several people who have kind of propped themselves up as messiahs. And they've led military revolts. There were a couple really close to the time of Jesus that did that, who people, uh, they, they won a big following. They tried to revolt against Rome. And people thought, maybe this is the messiah. Maybe this is the military man, like the Maccabees, that God has raised up. To lead us, And if we join him, yeah, we're outnumbered 300 to 1, but if, if we join him, God will give us the victory. God will usher in the kingdom if we step out in faith. All right? So during the New Testament, we're going to run into a group of people called the Zealots. The Zealots are zealous. They're passionate for the things of God, even to the point of being moved to violence. The zealots uh, are kind of, you know, the ancient equivalent to people who bomb police stations today. They're terrorists, basically, Jewish terrorists. But they think if we in faith fight against the Romans, if we in faith, you know, fight against these hostile powers, God will be faithful to bring us the Messiah and give us victory. Uh, the zealots are famous um, in, in New Testament days for, uh, I, I think I've told you this before, but the zealots would hide knives in their sleeves like this. They had these daggers about this long. They would hide knives in their sleeve and they would walk into a crowd. If they saw a Roman soldier walk into a crowd, they would walk in after him and then as they're going, you know, everybody's bumping into each other in a busy street and they'll throw this dagger down, slit his throat real quick and walk away. And once the crowd disperses, there's a dead Roman. Very violent people. 
Um, by the way, one of Jesus' disciples is an ex-zealot. You know what his name is? Yeah, Simon the Zealot, right? It's interesting. One of Jesus' disciples is an ex-zealot, and one of his disciples is an ex-tax collector. Matthew. Who do tax collectors work for? For Rome. And these two guys don't kill each other. It's very impressive, right? So this is another thing uh, that I think kind of hurts Jewish theology is uh, not only is there a rise in, in legalism, but there starts to be this idea that the Messiah is going to look like a Maccabee. It's kind of interesting to me. Um, we're going to see this a couple of times throughout the semester. You guys remember the story where Jesus feeds 5,000 people in the wilderness with the bread and the fish? Do you know what the people try to do to him right after he does that? It's, the text of John says that they try to take him by force to make him king. Um, the whole counting of the 5,000 is following an ex, a story of Exodus. In, in, the, in the story of Exodus, God provides manna in the wilderness for the people, and the very next thing that they do is they fight under a guy named Joshua against the king uh, Amalek. Um, Joshua has the same name as who? Jesus. Jesus. So in the Jews' mind, they're following the same pattern. This guy just gave us miraculous bread. The next thing we do is we rally under Jesus and we fight. Following the same pattern in Exodus 16 and 17. So they try to take Jesus by force to make him king. What does that mean? They try to like kidnap him and throw him down on a throne and put a crown on his head? Is that what they mean by that? What does it mean they try to take him by force and, and make him king? Who, who, are, who are they forcing? They're going to try to fight against Rome. They're going to try to fight against Rome and establish Jesus as the new Caesar. And Jesus runs away. He says, I'm not about that. Understood. Yeah. Right? Um... Towards the end of the Gospels, one of Jesus' disciples betrays him. What's that guy's name? Judas. Judas. What was the most famous Maccabee? Judas. Judas. Huh, that's interesting. Judas betrays Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed this in the Gospels before. Judas betrays Jesus because he wants Jesus to fight. He wants Jesus to be violent. And whenever it becomes clear that Jesus isn't about that, Judas is offended, and he sells him out. Judas wants him to look like Maccabee, and Jesus doesn't do it, right? Uh, you know, what's the famous prophecy about the Messiah in the Old Testament? It's, it's Isaiah 53, where you have a servant who, you guys know that? The suffering servant song, right? He was crushed for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. Well, what do they want the, the Messiah to do? Do they want the Messiah to be crushed and bruised? They want the Messiah to crush and bruise other people. That's not what Christ does in, in his first coming. All right? So this is a bad thing for, um, for Jewish theology as well. Uh, let's talk about this group called the Sadducees. Uh, we get out of here at what time? 55. All right. We have a few minutes to do this really quickly. Um, Sophia, if I forget, in the next couple minutes, remind me to give you guys your reading for tonight. Okay, I'm really good with that. Okay, yeah, actually, you don't do it. Uh, uh, okay. Bella, do it. <laughs> Taking your job away. All right, the third thing that happens uh, during this time 
um, is uh, some Jews just flat out compromise. Um, there's a lot of pressure, especially by the Greeks, to start looking and acting and talking like a Greek, right? And there are some Jews who kind of do the opposite of what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees said, we're going to separate from the culture around us. We're going to be, you know, even more Jewish since they don't want us to be. We're going to try to really strive for purity, really strive for holiness. Um, There's a group that takes the complete opposite mentality. There's a group that says, yeah, all of that Greek stuff, we'll do it. We'll take it all in. this group really likes political power. This group really likes money. Uh, do you think it's easy to you know, be super powerful and, and economically stable if you're fighting against you know, the regime that's over you? No. 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 All right. Um, the Greeks started to do something where um, they recognized that the chief leader of the Jews during this point in history, they, they obviously can't have a king. And so the chief leader is the high priest. And what the Greeks start to do, and the Romans do this to some extent, is they started putting uh, Jews in the position of high priest if they liked them. If you're a person who will kind of go along with what we want you to do, we'll make you high priest. Or if you can pay us the most money, we'll make you high priest. Do you think the Jews were typically happy about that? No. The high priest is supposed to come from a specific line. The line of who? No, that's the king. Who was the first high priest? Levi. Uh, Very first high priest? First high priest. Not Moses, but Aaron. Aaron, right? He's supposed to come from Aaron's line. Um, but the, the Greeks stopped doing that. If you are someone that we like, we'll give you this political power. You'll have a privilege. You'll have wealth, et cetera, et cetera. And there is a group that just compromises and says, yeah, we're going to go along with that. That group, any guesses? Sadducees. The Sadducees are really comfortable with the Greeks and Romans. They're buddy-buddy with them. Alright? The Sadducees, whenever you get to the New Testament, uh, are typically the most powerful of the Jewish groups. Because they're buddy-buddy with the regime that's in charge. The high priests are typically, not always, but typically going to come from this party. The Sadducees and the Pharisees hate each other. You may not recognize that reading the Gospels, because the Sadducees and the Pharisees, um, even though they hate each other, there's something that they hate more that unites them, and that is Jesus. So they will team up. This is like Democrats and Republicans. Right? Do Democrats and Republicans, do those two parties see eye to eye on like anything? In fact, it sometimes feels like a Republican is like, we have this view, and then Democrats are just like, oh, they have that view, we need the opposite one. Or the Democrats say, we have this view, and then the Republicans say, oh, they, they think that, we're going to think the opposite. That's kind of how Pharisees and Sadducees work. But these two groups will actually come together and work together in order to get Jesus crucified. All right? Um, but that is that that should show us, you know, the dislike that they have for Christ. Um, tomorrow we'll take some time and we'll talk about um, theologically what are some of the really big differences between these groups. They have different Bibles. They have different ideas about angels and the afterlife. They have different ideas about stuff like the resurrection of the dead. That's a big 
Um, and uh, you guys, uh, as much as we dislike the Pharisees, you will like them ten times better than you like the Sadducees. All right? The Sadducees are, are really, really bad. Your reading tonight, see, I didn't forget. Um, you need to read Matthew 8 through 10. You should expect either tomorrow or Friday a quiz on your reading for this week. Um, Once you have that written down, you are free to head to break.